0: Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God is good. He's always good. He's always on the throne. Hallelujah. No matter what different circumstances we go through, what kind of storm comes week by week here in Kohima and Nagaland. Understand this. God is always on the throne and we as believers in him, our faith must not change. Our faith is always a praising faith, it is always a hallelujah faith, it is always a joyful faith. Hallelujah! Because our faith is not dependent on the changing circumstances of the world. Our faith comes from Him and He never changes. Yesterday, today and forever. And once our faith is locked onto Him, we will enter into that stability and that peace no matter what we are going through as a people, all over the world, people are in turmoil. But here, you can be in peace. Because our God is the Prince of Peace, He's the Giver of Peace. He's given us His peace. We are a people of peace. Glory to God. Come on, everyone, lift up your hands right now, wherever you're watching from, and say this God is with me, God is on the throne, and I am in peace. I will not fear, I will not be anxious, whatever I may go through, because God is with me and I have peace. I have His shalom, hallelujah. Keep your eyes on Jesus, people, because He is good. He's always compassionate and gracious and Jesus is coming back very soon. Our hearts must be ready, prepared, to be faithful in these times. And also to be ready for whenever He will come. But then again, ready to go through any circumstance, any situation. The good and the bad. The times of revival and also the times of tribulation. Because our eyes are on Jesus. We are not moved by anything else that we see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So happy to be with you today. I'm going to preach a message called Back to the Beginning. And it is from the Divine Alignment series. And it's a different type of message today. I want to address primarily the people of Nagaland, the youth and so on. And really, I hope this will bring alignment to your heart, to God's purposes and His will in such times. These are some of the best times to really hear God's voice, not as a whisper, but as a trumpet. Because God often screams to us. I'm not saying He screams but his voice is like a scream, like a trumpet in times of difficulty. Sometimes you may understand this analogy here. The heart of God may be here, and the heart of the church is here. The heart of God is love and compassion and the gospel reaching the lost, but the heart of the church may be buildings and organizations and events and its own programs. But divine alignment means that God wants the church to come into alignment with the heart of God. So that the church begins to beat with the heartbeat of God. In every area of the church's expression to the world, to the culture. Another way we can look at it is this. Jesus said to pray this way, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here on the earth, the church, the body of Christ exists. Whereas here is heaven, God's will. And God wants the body of Christ to manifest or to express or to be like a mirror to the will of God. So God wants the church here to look to heaven and seeing the image of God's will here on the earth, bring it to pass here on the earth. See, when Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, God gave him the revelation in detail for the tabernacle. Even the incense and, and, the, and, the, and the table of showbread and all the utensils and every little detail of the tabernacle. And that is the way God wants us to build our lives. We see the pattern of our lives in heaven. We see the pattern of our purpose in heaven. We see the pattern of government. We see the pattern of society. We see the pattern of marriage in heaven. And we want to bring it here on the earth. That is called divine alignment. When we on the earth, the body of Christ, we see heaven and we mirror heaven here on the earth to the world, that is divine alignment. All right, I want you to turn with me to divine alignment by taking this portion of scripture to build upon. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these things that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. So Jesus was always healing wherever he went. Today healing is available for you. I'll be praying especially prayer for those who are sick in the bodies today. So make sure you send in your prayer requests. Make sure you send this link to somebody you know who is sick. All right? The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, this is in the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. This is the place where Herod Antipas ruled. And we know that that is the man who killed John the Baptist because John the Baptist confronted him about his unlawful marriage to Herodias, who was his brother's wife. So this is the worst place to discuss about marriage and remarriage. And you can see that the Pharisees were not sincere. They had an evil intent to trap Jesus. Now, what does Jesus say? And He answered and said to them, have you not read that He who made them at the beginning, referring to God at the beginning, creation, Garden of Eden, made them male and female. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, God made man in His image. He made them male and female. The Bible only mentions two genders, all right? Male and female. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Creation account of marriage. And Jesus is saying, marriage was always meant to be a holy union of two human beings. Men and women. In purity. In God's blessing. Which should never be broken. Amen. And Jesus referred to not the law, but creation as the original intent and purpose of God for marriage. Verse 7. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, hardness of your heart, permitted you. I want you to notice the words the Pharisees use. The Pharisees say, command, Moses commanded. Now, this is quoted from Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. There, Moses permits divorce only in the case of unfaithfulness. Now, Moses permitted, not commanded. He permitted it. The purpose is really to protect the woman. Because women in those days and culture had no rights. So the man could take the woman and just change his wives whenever he would want to. And that was happening so frequently. You see, they were living in a time when sexual perversion was rampant in Roman Hellenistic culture. That was also rampant in Judea at the time because they were under the rule of the Romans. So Moses permitted divorce to protect the rights of the woman. Because men would just keep on changing their wives. He said, no, you can't do that. If you want to change your wife, you have to go through a divorce. And the divorce has to be investigated. There has to be a legal procedure. And only in the case of unfaithfulness. So he was really protecting the woman. Not commanding, permitting to protect the woman because of the culture of that time. Now men at that time wanted to reinterpret Moses' law. The Pharisees were really revealing the corruption in their heart. They wanted to take the law as an excuse to do whatever the corrupt hearts wanted to do because it came to a point in that culture that they would divorce their wives by using the law by saying unfaithfulness means my wife didn't cook for me. Yeah, my wife didn't cook for me so she was unfaithful. My wife didn't take care of me. My wife didn't you know make my bed. So they would use all those things and divorce their wives. And so Moses was saying, I mean, Jesus was saying, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, not because it was God's will. The hardness of your heart permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning. It was never God's original intention for divorce to be there. It was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Verse 10. His disciples said to him. Now notice that part. Even his disciples were challenged in what Jesus says. If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. So his disciples' statement revealed the terrible condition of society in those times. It's strange that even his disciples would say that. Why? Because they were part of that culture. For them, divorce was acceptable. Leaving your wife for another woman was acceptable. But when Jesus said that, it challenged their beliefs. All right? Now, the main point is this. I'm just using this to build upon the main point. The main point is this. Jesus was pointing them back to the original intent and the original will of God. The statement of Jesus is bringing alignment in culture. Alignment in the hearts to what they thought about marriage. Back to the original will and purpose of God in marriage. The original intent. And Jesus does not point to the law. He points to creation. He doesn't point to the law. He points to the nature of God. There's so many points we can take away. All right? From this. You know, in other parts of the scripture, if you look at Matthew chapter 5, in verse 38, I believe, Jesus the culture into the beliefs and saying, no, it's not the law. It is God. You have to go back to the original intent and purpose of God. You have to go back to the heart and the nature of God. So he was always pointing the Jews back to the original intent and purpose. You see, man is not created to live by laws and rules and regulations. No. It is necessary and important for the fallen world. But man was created in the beginning to be the carrier of God's image. And to live life in a vital relationship with God, a union with God, only through Jesus Christ. And only this union with God can bring alignment back to man, all humanity. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ aligns us back to heaven's purposes. And so... Even creation and all nations will be aligned back to the Father through Jesus Christ. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in the days to come. So here Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 19, I have come to restore man back to his God's original intent and purpose, including marriage. And where does God, where does Jesus point to? He points back to the beginning. The back to the beginning. See, Jesus as Savior, we must understand this. In the Gospels, Jesus is portrayed primarily as the Messiah, the Son of Man, Yeshua, the redeeming Savior. Hallelujah. The Savior of mankind from the sins and the judgment of God. And through His substitutionary death on the cross, Jesus saves us. That is the Gospel we primarily preach. So when you and I come to God, the first encounter we have with God is through Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves us from our sins. Redeems us from the curse of the law. He heals our sicknesses. He delivers us from depression. He gives us peace. He rescues us from moments of crisis. So here we see God in salvation. The Savior God. Jesus has come to save us. Now we know that. But we must know this too. Jesus did not come only to save you, but to bring you back to the father. In John chapter 14 verse 6 the bible says this. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the father except through me. So here Jesus is saying that you are not only meant to come to me but through me to the Father. Jesus is the door through which we go to the Father. He is the only door, the only way. But Jesus did not come only to save us, but to bring us back to the Father. Bring us to the Father. Alright? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All things are of God who has reconciled us, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So God did not reconcile us to Jesus and keep us there. He reconciled us to himself through Jesus the door. Why is it important to understand this? I have seen that many Christians come to Jesus primarily because of their needs. They have sin. they're struggling with guilt, depression, sickness, crisis in the marriage, poverty, whatever. Fear. So they come to Jesus. And when they trust in Him, they are graciously forgiven, healed, delivered, and so on. But I've also noticed this. That many don't progress beyond that stage of salvation wherein they're always looking to God to save them from a crisis. They don't progress from that mindset where they see God only as a savior. Let me ask you these questions. Do you come to God only when you need saving from whatever you're going through? Do you expect the blessings of God to come only as miracles in moments of crisis? You see, if you answer yes, You are still at the door. You haven't gone to meet the master of the house. See, salvation is the immediate target. The immediate target. But a relationship with God was the original target. The original purpose. Salvation was just the door. God doesn't want us to stay at the door our entire spiritual life. He wants us to go into the house and meet the father of the house. God doesn't want you to remain in a state continually where you're always needing saving from crisis. He wants you to live in the blessing of God. Hallelujah. So the point is this. Jesus saved us, healed us, delivered us, made us righteous, and reconcile us back to the father so that we can go back to the beginning and what is that the original intent and purpose of god for mankind turn to genesis chapter 1 verse 26 then god said god said elohim said let us make man in our image let us make man let us make roko Narrow of Elohim. Now it is said in science that man descended from apes. But I say unto you, in the beginning we are created in the image of God. It is said in psychology that man is body and soul. He has a psyche, suke, from the Greek. But I say unto you, man is created as a spirit being. Who has a soul and a body? Are you getting the picture? Let me just shift completely. It is said that no good can come out of Nagaland. It is said that Nagas are lazy. There is unemployment here. There's no industry. There's no jobs. There's no opportunities. But I say unto you that every Naga who believes in Jesus is created in the image of Elohim in the image of Elohim and Jesus saved you and me to bring us back not only to Yeshua but also to Elohim Yeshua is the Savior God Elohim is the Creator God the Almighty God we are saved to be brought back to the beginning Jesus said the beginning." The beginning. It has always been like that in the beginning. Who is Elohim? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim said, let there be light. Elohim said, the firmament, divide the waters, the heavens, the rivers. He made the days and the nights. He spoke and the earth produced grass and plants and seed. Elohim made the birds that fly, the animals that creep, the insects, the fish, the creatures of the sea. Elohim spoke, and there were light in the heavens, billions of stars and galaxies in the universe. Elohim, Elohim, the Creator God, He made everything that you and I see today. except Him, Himself. He's the eternal, infinite God. Nothing existed except Him. He did not go down to Dimapur, buy some sand, and come and create the world. He created everything out of Him. And that's what Elohim means, the Creator God. He brought it out of Himself. The omnipotent God, that means His all potency in Him. All power is in Him. And He brought it out of Himself. Elohim is the God of creation. And guess what? He made the Nagas in His image. In His image. The image of Elohim. Hallelujah. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 to 30. How did God create man? So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them, God blessed them, God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that creeps on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. All the trees in Nagaland God has given to us. All right. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Look at this. God created man in the beginning to have, number one, relationship with God. A union with God and with man. Later on with Eve, Adam. Number two, God created man to have identity. Our identity comes from God. Not from our culture not from our society, not from your parents. You may have no father, doesn't matter. Your identity doesn't come from an earthly father. It comes from God. People may say that you are fatherless. People may say that you are from a divorced family. It doesn't matter. You're dark, you're black. Hey, in God's eyes, everyone is beautiful. Multiply, cover the earth, fill the earth. That is God's purpose for man. God's purpose for man. He has built in man. The ability to be fruitful, to reproduce, to cover the earth, to, to to bring forth out of us. Whatever He has put in us, gifts, talent. Alright, number four, God gave man dominion. The word dominion means authority to rule. That means He has given us ability. Everyone has been given the ability to rule and to reign in life. Not over people, not over nations, but in life. That means you can reign. That means you can earn a living. All right, number five, God gave man security. Security means I have given you all of this for your food. So all of our provision is here on the earth. God created the earth so that all of man's needs will come from the earth. Our fuel needs come from the earth. Our food needs comes from the earth. Our clothing needs comes from the earth. It doesn't come from heaven. God gives us the wisdom, but it comes from the earth. God directs us to the place, but it comes from the earth. Everything that man needs is in the earth, and the earth will keep on reproducing for the needs of man. Which means this, everything you need is here. It's not in heaven. Everything that God will use for your provision, it is already here on the earth. Alright, okay, and then God blessed them. God bless them. God bless them. Alright, listen. When you live from miracle to miracle, like the Israelites in the wilderness, every day, oh, I need a miracle. Oh, I need a miracle. Oh, I need a miracle. Yes, the miracle came, but they were still in the wilderness. God's will is not for you to live like that from crisis to crisis. God's will is for you to live in the promised land. The promised land is where the Israelites lived in the blessing. And in the blessing, they had to be responsible. Hallelujah. So God blessed them. That means it was always God's original intent. Let's go back to the beginning. You have heard that it was said, Yes, you can pray and a miracle will come. You will pray and a miracle will come. You will pray and God will save you. But it was always God's original intent that you live in the blessing. What do I mean? Is this against grace? No. Grace is always the foundation of our life in Christ today. Grace is the way we enter the kingdom. Grace is the way we interact with God. But grace is like the foundation upon which God builds other truths. And yes, as we mature in grace, we realize God doesn't want us to always be at the door of salvation, where every day we're crying out for God to save us from something. God wants us to grow in grace to where we are living in the blessing. Living in the blessing. And that is where our purposes has to be fulfilled and come forth. In the wilderness, we need saving every day because we have a crisis every day. In the blessing, we live, We learn to live in the purposes of God. We learn to live in the grace that is growing in grace. And what is this purpose? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden so that he would just lie back on a hammock and eat grapes and... You know, have some people put drinks down his throat. He would just relax. No. God put him in the garden so that Adam will work. Tend and keep it. The gardener. Hard work. But of course, he was working by the grace and the ability of God. But God put Adam in the garden in order to work it. God gave him a job. God gave him responsibility. He was accountable to God there was a purpose in his life and that purpose was to work. To be responsible. In the blessed state, Adam was given work. See, many Nagas think the blessed state is no work, just get money from India. Okay? So I want you to go back to the beginning. Now what we see here is this. The way God created and the way God made Adam and Eve. God gave him responsibility. Elohim God is a responsible God. He takes responsibility for His words. Every prophecy He released about Jesus has been fulfilled. Every prophecy about Israel will be fulfilled. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. He's responsible. He's a God who works, He's a God who creates. We are created in His image. So now let's talk about Anagas. Over the years, I believe the Nagas have been corrupted by the flow of easy money into our state. Corrupted through our social programs, our welfare programs and schemes, the projects, the loans, the grants, even the scholarship. It has corrupted our students. That has come so easily and so freely from the beginning of our statehood. Secondly, our leaders have used this easy money to win elections, to get their way done in society, in the government. By bribing and so on. Thirdly, as a people, we have always depended on the government to employ us, to give us jobs. In the beginning, it was easy because there were very few people, very few graduates, so people would get jobs. So we thought that system would continue. So we have always depended on the government to employ us, to provide us sustenance. They would say in the villages, "Government go hudiwina, government basai wodo. All right. So over the years, we have become entitled. Always expecting, not working, complaining and grumbling, but not working. Passive, unwilling to work, just desiring easy profits, quick profits. Corrupt because of the system and completely dependent on the center. Completely dependent. See, we have to face the hard facts. We are completely dependent. We are truly a beggar state. Nagaland is a beggar state our leaders go and beg for funds. We are in a huge deficit. And if we are truly honest to ourselves in love, we can still say this. We are a beggar state. We don't produce anything. Whatever we produce is not even enough for our own state. We are completely in deficit. And all our economical, social, and educational indices prove what I'm saying. In the 50-plus years of statehood, you can look at a society and you can understand what I'm saying. See, the easy flow of money year by year, and primarily through the Indian taxpayers into our state, in all forms of a society, high and low, even the poor are corrupt, okay? High and low. All the projects, without any work done, during this pandemic, it was exposed. That so many hostels were built in Nagaland. but when they went, there was no hostels. Private homes, projects for hostels came. private homes, became private homes. See, money given without accountability, money given without responsibility, it has blinded us as a people to the reality of life. It has blinded us and it is killing our future generations. Literally killing. And this death is a worse death than just physical death. And we are thinking that this party will go on forever. But let me tell you this. We were praying in the week, last week, and God was saying this, sudden change is coming. Be prepared for sudden changes. And I sense in my spirit so strongly that there are sudden changes coming even in governance, in economy, and this system is not going to go on forever. We'll have to change as a people. Sudden changes are coming. Why? This system has created a generation that is unwilling to work hard for a living. Always looking for easy life. A generation that will blame the government for everything, instead of taking personal responsibility. A generation that is looking for handouts from the government or from others, politicians, bureaucrats, contractors. So for medical bills, I know this. Legislators, the complain. I knew this in the 30 years plus, even today. People who come from other districts come and stay and park themselves in the legislator's house. And everything for the taxi, for the tuition fees for the children, medical bills, they would just give it to the legislature. Why? Entitlement. Not willing to work. No responsibility. Government, minister aside the war. So if you have a government secretary or officer in your family, you are made. That's what we think. That system is changing. That formula will not work anymore. We think only a government job is dignified. First class. Everything else is second class. That system is changing. Sudden changes are coming. See, a generation that will grumble and whine about everything. That has to change. It has been proven that welfare systems never work in the long run. It keeps the people oppressed. Giving free money keeps the people oppressed. And you can see that even in America, among the Native American communities, the black community, they are the largest recipients of social welfare. And the recipients of social welfare never progress. Why? Because it conditions them. It kills the creativity, the responsibility, the hard work, the initiative, and the leaderness. It's a slow death on the inside. You know why? Because it was never God's original will for men to live on welfare. It was not God's original intent for men to live by just God saving you from every crisis. God wants you to use your talents, your abilities, and to discover His purpose so that you can work it. But even the working is by the grace of God. Paul says, I worked more than all the other apostles, yet it was not me, but the grace of God working in me. He worked so hard. He's preaching the gospel every day. For for every day, for two years, in the school of Tyrannus. he's preaching in Ephesus. But he says it was the grace of God. And yet he worked. God's original intent for men is not to live on social welfare, on grants, on scholarship. It was always be to be like Elohim. Now, I understand in the beginning when we were a state, we were backward, uneducated. We always need help. The poor need help. They need some encouragement in the beginning. We needed that. But it was not something that we should have expected for the rest of our lives. The help can lift us up to a certain degree. But I tell you, it is only when you connect with the image of God as Elohim and you begin to create out of your gifts and talents, you begin to create out of what God put into you, will you truly live as a fulfilled and maximized man. The welfare system is really, I would say, yes, it helps us to a certain degree, but it also limits us never enabling us to find a full potential in the way god created us hallelujah the world is changing how long can you and i in nagaland expect free money during this lockdown what i have seen is this the people from mainland india or from other parts they are so quick to adapt to business selling vegetables and fish together selling eggs and fish together. And they're always working hard. Early in the morning, four or five, they're out there setting up the stalls. Finding a way to make money in these lockdown times. Some of them are making samosas and selling them on the streets because you can open your stalls. But what about the Naga boys? Handsome, tall, smart. We are just carrying sticks and we are policing the colonies. Right? Now, You may think that that's important, but that's not productive work. You're just sitting around, drinking tea. The colony are spending money to support your drinking tea, your food. Hey, hey, hey. Or four, five of you, 20 of you in the colonies. I tell you, that is not productive. So our Naga youth are there. And we feel, we, we want to feel important by doing those things. But are we really creating? We go to shops, we see the sales girls, sales boys and others, the owners are different. You know, there's scriptures in the Bible to the children of Israel saying, if you don't obey God, walk in His commandments and His laws, you'll become slaves to other people. God has given us this land. It doesn't belong to us. It is given to our stewardship. It can be taken away from us. If we are not faithful to use, to work with responsibility, whatever is given to us. So our future as a people, if we don't change, our mindsets don't change, it's not good. We're working as sales girls, sales boys, waiters, waitresses. I'm speaking generally. There are always some hardworking, smart, creative, but I'm speaking generally for the majority. In the metros, most of our people, they work in low-income jobs low skill jobs. See, I suspect that our understanding of God as a people is primarily of a God who forgives sins and saves us. So once in a while during revival, we'll all go and ah oh, confess our sins. ah oh, Confess our sins. And then you go back and be as worse as the world. Once in a while, you will go to prayer house, confess all your sins, and you go back to the same person that you were, like living in the world. About two months back, we went through a time when we were counseling a girl, my wife. But the father and the mother forced that girl to commit abortion, all in the name of God, saying that this baby is cursed, it's not from God. And after all, we will just confess our sins anyway. That is the way a lot of people think. They see God only as the one who will forgive. So once in a while, they will go to revival meetings, confess the sins, go to prayers, confess their sins, but they will come back and live as the world or even as worse as the world, even worse in the world. See, Jesus saved us from our sins so that He can take us back to the beginning, to be reconciled to Elohim and from that relationship, bearing His image and his identity live with the purpose our relationship with God brings us into alignment with God's original intent for purpose identity brings healing in our mind and in our hearts in our souls and from that place we must walk with purpose to fulfill God's destiny and calling of our lives that means to be fruitful to increase and multiply over the earth God restored us in Christ so that we can be fruitful, increase, multiply, fulfill our purpose in the way God created us. And what is that? It means to work, it means to be responsible, it means to have assignment. Assignment. Going forward, as a people, I believe, I'm going to make it very simple. The only way for us to survive in the 21st century is for us to work. Not have government jobs. Work. Every Naga has to work. Every Naga has to be responsible. Our young people, you have to work. If necessary, go back to the village and farm. Creativity, innovation. Those are the mantras in the 21st century. Innovation, creativity, to change quickly, to adapt quickly. Hallelujah. See, we blame the government for why we can't start business. We blame extortion and the Naga political movement for why we cannot start businesses. I think these are just excuses. There are genuine conditions that may inhibit us, but God is not inhibited. Even in such times, He can bless us. We are waiting for national salvation like Israel. We're thinking the peace process will usher into prosperity. No. The peace process means we'll have to work harder. A lot of the easy money was possible because of that peace that we were not having. So God says to the Nagas today, like He said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? We are praying, oh, Lord, save us. Oh, so, project Potabina. Oh, scheme Potabina. Scholarship, industry. God is saying to us, What is in your hands? What have I already put into the land? What have I given to you guys? That's where I'm going to begin from. Like Elijah spoke to the widow. When the widow says, Oh, man of God, help us. The creditors come to take away my children. I have nothing. Elijah says, What do you have? She said, I have nothing. Elijah said, What do you have? Oh, I just have a little jar of oil. Good. We can begin from there. Let's pour it out. And as we pour it out, more will come. What do we have? Is what God is saying to us. We're telling God, Lord, I'm going to, going to do so unemployment, jungle here. Education. What do you have? What do you have? That's where God wants us to begin. He wants to take us back to the beginning where we learn to be responsible. Where we learn to work. What is in your hands? See, the blueprint for our success in the future, the blueprint for prosperity, the blueprint for God's provision is already with you. It's already in you. It doesn't come from a job. It comes from your relationship with Him. The wisdom, the ability He gives you. Your willingness to work. Do you know that God created man with the ability to work? We just don't want to work because we're lazy. God is saying, it's already in your hands. Many of you have lost jobs. You've come back, you and you're saying, government will give us jobs or not? No, the government cannot give you jobs. I feel like I'm a spokesman for the government right now, but the government cannot give jobs to every one of you. In fact, no government in the world can give jobs. So stop expecting from the government. Uh, then, then how, how? It's already with you. What is in your hand? God will use that as a seed and multiply it if you will only seek Him and begin to work. Seek Him and begin to obey. Seek Him and begin to work. Seek Him. Be responsible. Be responsible for what He has put in your hand. Don't expect free money. Don't expect industries to come from outside. Don't expect the easy flow of money to continue. The image of Elohim is Creator God. Responsible God, working God. You and I are created in His image. We will have to be responsible for what is already in our hands. What is already in this land our culture, our forest knowledge, our forest wealth, our lands, our gifts and our talents. It is here from God. It is already here. It is already in our hands. Now we have to take that and create out of that. Create. Create. We have to work with God. See, being in the image of God means God created man with the ability to create. Create. And when we create, we find satisfaction and fulfillment. When we create, we are being close to the image of God. See, the image of God as in Christ, we see Him loving. We see Him forgiving. We see Him being patient. Yes, that's the moral ethics of God. And many times, the churches, we focus so much on this image of Christ that we think that just by loving and just by forgiving, I am being the image of God. And yes, you are, but it's not the complete image of God. Elohim is a creator God. He's creating. He's bringing forth from within himself to bless the earth. What are you bringing forth from within you to bless the people around you? Even cooking is creating. Gardening is creating. Writing is creating. See, Nagas, we just want salary from the government without work. We'll take a government job and this... Everyone does it. Christians do it. Deacons do it. Choir members do it. So, don't give me any message, alright? Everyone is doing it. I know. We take government job as a teacher. We take government job as an assistant in the office. Thank God for government job. Hallelujah. Tolo Tolopaido. And then, for two months, you are there praying in the prayer house and you're not working. You're not producing. You're not being a man and a woman of integrity. Soap is all like a blessing. Free money now it's all like a blessing. <laughs> no, the image of God is creator of God. You must produce. You must produce. You see, that system is going. I'm telling you, that system, sudden changes are coming. The way that God is using this government also presently in India to bring sudden changes, education policies, sudden shift. Welfare state system is going to end. Get a job, pabo, kushi korubo. That system is not going to be there. Work. Create. When we create, we are being in the image of God. Hallelujah. What is the image of God we see in creation? He is creating. He is working. Yes, there's rest, but there's also work. God works from rest. He's always working, but always from rest. We work from rest. We trust in His grace, but His grace enables us to work. So work hard. Even the ability to work. You know, there's a saying. The Lord gave me this understanding. God helps those who help themselves. And a lot of preachers today have destroyed the myth in that saying, no, no, no. God helps those who cannot help themselves. They begin to preach that. And that is true because Jesus helps us in our helplessness, in salvation. But, let me tell you this. Even that phrase, God helps those who help themselves is also true. It is not completely true. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Yes. But He also helps those who helps themselves. In other words, when you partner with God and you work, He blesses that. If you are just stuck to one way of looking at God help her to bail you out, expect somebody to bail you out, expect your mother to bail you out, and we don't want to go in and study ourselves, work hard, get ideas, and grow. We become too dependent. Hallelujah. The quality of our faith in Christ will finally be proven in the lives that we live, which includes our work, our responsibility, our fruitfulness, and our increase. This is divine alignment. Divine alignment. Come back to the beginning. The image of Elohim is how we were created. That's the divine order of God in our lives. The future is going to be difficult for lazy people. Tough. But for those who are willing to work hard, be creative, teachable, learn, never give up, never be discouraged, but keep on plodding along. You know, the Bible talks so much about hard work. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Hard work is biblical. Working is biblical. Laziness is not biblical. Sitting at home and just talking and laughing and just having tea and then making fun of the minister and that minister and all of that. This is not biblical. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Ah. Oh. Iman, karanagi, Paul. If you don't work, don't eat. That's what God is saying. If you don't work, don't eat. Let me say it again. It's quite difficult to understand. Kam no? na Bible lalikisidehi. If you don't work, don't eat. Working is in the Bible. Hard work is in the Bible. Tolop paigena aram kuribo. Tolop paigena aram kuribo. Tolop paigena aram kuribo is not biblical. Let me tell you this: irresponsibility is sin. Laziness is sin. Irresponsibility is sin. The image of God is a responsible God. When somebody gives you responsibility over something and you are irresponsible, you don't do what you are asked to do, it is sin. And all those who are irresponsible say, Amen.
1: If you have been blessed through this podcast, Incredible. we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency, all things may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 70056. 84533 at B T M. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.